All right, if you have not turned there yet, I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 4. Uh, nine, it's either 978 or 979 in the Bible in front of you. And as you're turning there, I'm going to give you a warning. Warning. This following sermon contains discussion about families, about how parents should parent, and about how kids should behave. Hearer's discretion is advised. <laughs> you know, TV shows don't really do that anymore. Maybe some do, but I just, I, maybe I just don't watch them. But the subject our passage deals with today, it hits close to home for many of us, and that pun is kind of intended. Uh, our home lives are precious. Our home lives are personal. And our home lives are often under extreme pressure. So I think our aim this morning, we want to be clear about what it is. We do not aim to be controversial. We do not aim strictly to offend. And I think there are just some disclaimers that are appropriate at the outset of our time. So just some disclaimers about this topic of family. Number one, this is what I and us together do not want to do today on this topic of family. I do not want to advocate for a specific parenting preference in an area where there is Christian freedom. That is not my aim today. So I'm sorry if that disappoints you. This will not be a sermon about how much screen time you should let your kids have. This will not be a sermon about where you should send your kids to school. Uh, this will neither be a sermon about what kind of fruit, food you should allow your kids to eat. Uh, so that's disclaimer number one on this topic of parenting. Second disclaimer is that I do not want to give an exhaustive presentation on parenting. I just can't in one sermon, and I probably shouldn't even try. Uh, so that's just to tell you all that there are exceptions and there are complicated factors that we just won't be able to cover all of them in one sermon. Uh, I do think, though, that God provides this particular passage uh, as a foundation for families as they continue to grow, to learn, and to lean on him. Another disclaimer just on this topic of family, number three, is that I do not want to hold myself up as an expert on parenting. That is the last thing I want to do. As most of you know, I don't have kids. Now, on the one hand, neither did Jesus or Paul have kids. I'm nowhere near their stature, I know. Still, I want to be humble to recognize experiences that I, I just don't have. Uh, so I especially need perspectives outside of my own uh, for this particular topic. And want to thank parents in, uh, in general who have, who have helped me, who I've seen witness parent their kids, and uh, who have helped me, I, I think, mature and grow in this area. And I trust that I, I still need that more. Um, fourth and, and kind of last disclaimer, what we don't want to do at this topic of family is that I don't want to disregard the challenge of parenting. Most parents often feel worn out, tired, and inadequate. Now, yes, God's word challenges us. God's word convicts us. But the final result of being in God's word, I don't think should be feeling devastated and crushed. I don't think that's where we should leave it. The final result of being in God's word should be near Christ and built up. I pray that's the same today. So that's what we don't want to do with this topic of family. What do we want to do then? Simply, I want to preach the biblical text. I want to preach the Bible. We want to explain what it means, see the glory of Christ in it, 
and apply it to our hearts and lives. That's what we try to do every single week at the church at West Creek. And that's because our confidence is in God and in God's word. Our confidence is not in ourselves. No matter how much wisdom and experience we amass, helpful as those things may be, the firm foundation laid for our faith, as the old hymn puts it, is God's excellent word, not our own wisdom. So let's turn just there. Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is God's word. The main point or takeaway from this passage we're saying this morning is that God's best for the family is when each member has the mind and heart of Christ. God's best for the family is when each member have the mind and heart of Christ. Just to recap where we've been so far, the context of this letter to the Ephesians, Paul's continuing his theme, which he began earlier in chapter 5. He commends us to be filled with the Spirit. And when we are filled in the Spirit, that will lead us to worship, it will lead us to love, it will lead us to gratitude, it will lead us to humility. In other words, when we are filled with the Spirit, we will be like Jesus. And as Paul continues, he says, Spirit-filled Christians will be like Jesus as they are husbands, as they are wives, as they are moms, and as they are dads, and as they are kids. Will be like Jesus as they are all these things. So by his spirit, God will lead us into the way he wants us to to go. And the way God wants us to go, believe it or not, friends, is the way that is best for us. I know it's tough to believe. And this applies to all of life, including our family lives. So we'll break down our time this morning under two big headings. First, God's best for kids. Second, God's best for parents. So first, God's best for kids. Now, kids in the room, young and old, I, I, I don't know. There's, there could be a wide range here. But kids in the room, another question for you. Take this as a bonus, kids' time. Does anyone watch Saturday morning cartoons? Anybody? Is that still a thing? No, it's not. Okay. Now, when I, when I was from maybe five to eight, I had swimming lessons every Saturday. Uh, so it would be kind of early in the morning. I, I'd go swim. And then when I came back home, I would watch Looney Tunes, which was on every Saturday morning. Now, maybe you don't enjoy Saturday morning cartoons like I did, but you might enjoy the thing I ate during Saturday morning cartoons. Cereal. We have cereal fans in the house. Blaina, thank you. Yes. I'm a Cocoa Puffs person myself. Any cereal that turns into chocolate milk, that's just the added bonus. Now, there's one cereal, though. Uh, you may have seen these commercials. It has unique commercials, unlike any other cereal brand. Have you heard of the cereal Trix? Yes, Trix. You know, it's on the Trix cereal box. I don't know if there still is, but there used to be a rabbit. Now, in the tr- you've maybe seen the Trix cereal commercials. And every single one of them, the rabbit is trying to steal cereal away from kids. And every single commercial, the kids catch him. And what do they always tell the tricks rabbit? 
Tricks are for kids. That's right. So the tricks cereal commercials, they're really unique because they talk directly to kids. They're not aimed at adults. They're aimed at kids. Kids, did you know the Bible speaks directly to you? It's pretty amazing. Right here in this passage, it says, children, listen to this. At this point in the sermon, because that's what the Bible does, that's what I'm mainly going to do. I'm going to mainly talk to kids. Adults, you'd be so kind to listen in. I trust that it will be edifying also as we just go through the word together. Now, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this, he assumed that kids were listening in. And when the Bible speaks directly to kids, you know what it says? You know what it means? It means that God values you, that you matter to God. Now, this was really special for the time when it was written, because around the time when Jesus lived, around the time when Paul lived, the world around them did not value kids. They couldn't see how precious they are. They couldn't see how special kids are. Now, a lot of the people back then didn't value kids because they thought kids didn't do anything for them. No, kids can't work for me. Kids can't make me money. Kids need help for just about everything. It was so bad that at that time, if someone didn't want their baby, they would just leave out their baby on the side of the road. And the early Christians, what they were known for is they would take those babies and raise them themselves. They were unique. They represented that God is different from the world. That the world may say kids don't matter, but God says they do. Kids matter to God. And God wants what's best for kids. But the thing is, is you'll see, not just when you're a kid, but even when you grow up, we don't always agree with God with what's best for us. What we think is best for ourselves and what God says is best for us, they're often two different things. So let's hear, though, if if this is the part of the Bible that tells us what is best for kids, according to God, maybe we should listen. All right, what is best for you, according to God? What is it? To obey your parents and to honor your parents. Was that a letdown? That is what's best for you, according to God, to obey your parents and to honor your parents. Now, before you just tune out and say, all right, I get it. I've heard this before. Listen in to see why this is important, why this is good. Just take that first part of it. God's best for you is to obey your parents. What does that mean? It means what it sounds like, is that we should do what our parents tell us to do. If your parents tell you to clean your room, you should clean your room. If your parents tell you that it's time to get your shoes on, you should get your shoes on. If your parents tell you you should eat your vegetables, gosh, I hate to say it, but you should eat your vegetables. <laughs> now, if you're anything like me, this, this doesn't come easy. We don't always want to obey our parents. But th- I think this verse can help us. So we keep reading verse 1. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. In the Lord. 
Let me just remind you who Paul is writing this letter to. Paul is writing this letter to people who have new hearts from God. Remember, through Jesus' death for us and the Holy Spirit in our hearts, God has forgiven us and God has changed our hearts. He helps us do the things that we should do but often don't want to do. With new hearts from God, we now want to obey God. If we want to obey God, then we will want to obey our parents because that is what God tells us to do. Now, there might be one question you, everyone could be wondering. What if parents tell you to do something that God doesn't want you to do? What happens then? That is a possibility. It happens, unfortunately, more often than we think. <laughs> That's right, Lena. Don't do it. Now, remember who Paul is writing to again. Paul doesn't expect the parents that he's writing to 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 make their kids do something that God doesn't want them to do. No, parents who love God should lead their kids to make decisions that God wants them to make. But there are parents who can try to lead kids to decisions that are wrong, to decisions that go against what God wants us to do. And if that happens, then kids should obey God, not their parents. So, an example, if a parent tells their kid not to love Jesus with all of their heart, then kids shouldn't listen. Now, I don't know if any of you will run into that exact same problem, especially here, kids. But I will say, if you ever struggle with knowing how to respond to your parents, just have a question about it. I hope there is someone here you can trust. I hope you can trust one of your pastors to talk to you about that. So that's a question. Let's review. What is God's best for you? It is to obey your parents. And this verse says we obey our parents in the Lord. We, could, we keep going in verse 1. It says we obey our parents in the Lord for this is right. For this is right. Should we need any other reason? It's the right thing to do. God's people care about what is right and wrong. And obeying our parents is right. It's like we talked about in kids' time. Our parents are in charge of us. It's their job to look after us. It is right to obey them. Now, especially for the older kids in the room. I know it may seem like it at times. But trust me, your parents do not have a grand plan to ruin your life. (laughs) I know they tell you stuff you don't always want to hear. I know they tell you stuff you don't always want to do. But friends, you should trust them. I'm thinking of the moms and dads that I know in this room. I'm thinking about how I know how many times they have fed their kids, how many times they have hugged their kids, how many times they have taught their kids, how much they love their kids. You can trust the parents in this room. It's not just that our parents are in charge of us. They are usually the ones who have done the most for us. All the more reason why obeying our parents is right. Now, this isn't the only part of God's best for you. We can keep going in this section. God's best for you, we said, is to obey your parents. Secondly, God's best for you is also to honor your parents, to honor your parents. What does that mean? 
to honor your parents. It sounds very prim and proper. Nobody talks like that. No one goes up to their mom and dad and says, Mom and dad, I honor you today. Maybe you could tell them that this afternoon. Is honoring your parents the same thing as obeying your parents? Well, maybe we can get a little bit of the help from a real-life practical example. I want you kids in the room, and maybe everybody can join in this, flashback three hours ago. Maybe it was two hours ago. I don't know. Maybe it was just an hour ago. Whenever you got ready for church is when I want you to flash back to, okay? Did your parents have to wake you up? Yes. Did your parents have to try several times to wake you up? Maybe. Now, a lot of us are grumpy in the morning. I get it. Now, when it was time to put your shoes on and load up in the car, what was your attitude like? Did you say anything under your breath so that your parents just couldn't quite hear you? Was there any growling? Was there any stomping of feet? Was there any folded arms and angry grimaces and angry faces? It's okay to be honest. It's, a, it's good if not. But here's the point. On Sunday morning, your mom and your dad want you to get up, get dressed, come to church. Since you're here, that means you obeyed them. That's great. But we don't truly obey our parents if we do not honor our parents. You see, obeying our parents is more than doing what they say. Obeying our parents is honoring them. We honor our parents by loving them. We honor our parents by respecting them. So kids, how do you treat your parents? How do you talk to them? If your parents tell you to keep using this example, if your parents tell you to put on your shoes, but they had to tell you 10 times before you actually did it, And when you put on your shoes and you finally did it, you called them a big, mean jerk face. Did you honor them? No. Now, to press pause for a moment for the big kids in the room, that's everybody here, especially on honoring our parents. There comes a time in each of our lives when our parents are no longer in charge of us the way that they once were in charge of us. But as long as our parents are around, we will always owe them honor, love, and respect. In Mark 7, verses 9 to 13, Jesus condemned the Pharisees for skirting around this command to honor your father and mother. Now, I know just by talking to some of y'all that it takes a lot of humility, it takes a lot of wisdom, and it takes a lot of trust in the Lord to continue to honor your mother and your father. Now let's press play again. We'll come back to the kids. Kids, young and old, review. This is what is God's best for you. To obey your parents. Obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And secondly, we said to honor your parents. We look at this verse still. Why? Why should we honor our parents? We look at verse 2. It says we honor our parents because this is the first command with a promise. The command to honor your father and mother, if if you don't know, it comes from the Ten Commandments. Have we heard of the Ten Commandments? Yeah. Uh, We find them in Exodus chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5. Now, God gave the, uh, the Ten Commandments originally to the people of Israel. And when he gave the Ten Commandments to Israel, they were about to enter the promised land. This is why God promises when they follow their, uh, honor their father and mother, 
it will go well with them in the land. That is the promised land. So for the people of Israel way back when, that means if they listened to their mom and dad, things probably wouldn't go crazy. And the whole group of people would get, get along just fine. The same is kind of true for us. If, if everybody listens to their mom and dad, you'll probably relate well to your teachers. You'll probably relate well to your friends. And you'll probably relate well to other people. And if everybody listens to their mom and dad, then the community will likely be better off. Everything probably won't go crazy. But here, when we, Paul says, honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, that you may live long days in the land. The promise here attached to this command, we have a better one than this. There is a better promise than having success in school, and there is a better promise than having success in life and in a career, as good as of gifts that those are. The promise for God's people now is eternal life. And obeying your parents shows that you are on the path of eternal life. Now, this path to eternal life, this might be review for you, but we need to know this. We need to be clear on this. The path to eternal life begins not with what we have done. The path to eternal life begins with what Jesus has done for us. You see, Jesus is the one who never disobeyed his father. Jesus always did what was right. We, on the other hand, each one of us in this room have disobeyed our parents. We have disobeyed God. We've done wrong. But on the cross, Jesus died for our disobedience. And Jesus gave us his obedience that we didn't have. So God gives eternal life to those who trust in Jesus and what Jesus has done for them. Now here's a bonus point of this. Those who trust in Jesus live differently. Those who trust in Jesus live differently. They walk on the new path that heads toward eternal life. So kids, friends, are you on the path to eternal life where you will see God forever? Do you trust in Jesus and what Jesus has done for you? Then your faith in Jesus should cause you to love people like Jesus loved people. Your faith in Jesus should cause you to obey and honor your parents like Jesus obeyed and honored his earthly parents as well as his heavenly father. Kids, Jesus loves you enough to die for you. We should trust him enough to do what he says. And he says it is best for us to obey and honor our parents. Now, this is just one half of the equation. Maybe parents this whole time were saying, yes, this is it. You need to harp on them for this. <laughs> but wait, it's not over. <laughs> now, just the context of this letter, in each relationship that Paul covers from chapter 5, verse 22, through chapter 6, verse 9, each of those relationships, he always places a check on the group that has authority. So whether it's husbands, parents, or masters. This check on our authority prevents us from behaving like the manager of the Dunder Mifflin Paper Company, Scranton Branch, Michael Scott. Forgive me for another office reference. Prevents us from being Michael Scott. 
One day, frustrated with his employees, Michael Scott clarifies his role over them. He says, I set the rules, and you follow them blindly, okay? We do not want that with parents. Kids are responsible to obey and to honor their moms and their dads. But parents can set them up to succeed in doing this. Parents can make it really hard for kids to do this. And this is what Paul warns about. So how do parents set their kids up for success to obey and honor them? Well, God's best for parents comes in a negative command and it comes in a positive command. He says, don't provoke your kids to anger and bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Negative command, positive command. Before we dive into those, just a little housekeeping note here in this passage. Paul says fathers, and that's how it's translated here. Uh, But the word Paul uses for fathers does not automatically exclude mothers. Fathers, this word, is similar to how Paul uses the term brothers. And he uses that term often to refer to everyone in the church. So when he says brothers, Paul doesn't just address the men in the church. He addresses the men and the women in the church. We should say in 1 Timothy 3, Paul indicates that the fathers uh, take the lead to manage the house. But here in this passage, he just called kids to honor their fathers and their mothers. So I think there's a good case to be made that when he says fathers, he's, he's really including all parents. It's just a little housekeeping note here. Now, what is God's best for parents? We said two big things, negative and positive. First, the negative command. Don't provoke your kids to anger. Now, what is Paul trying to say? Remember that he just spoke about the authority that parents have over their kids. In saying that, don't provoke your kids to anger, Paul acknowledges that there is a wrong way to exercise this authority. You can misuse or abuse it. He's saying there is a way to use your authority that makes your kids resent you and not obey you. So Paul tells the parents, God has given you this authority. It is a weighty gift. This is authority that is owed obedience and honor, but you have to be careful. Kids are precious. Kids are delicate. There is a way to exercise your authority that will not lead to their good, but lead them to resent you, not obey you. And that's not good for anyone involved. Now, this was a strong warning for people in Paul's day. You know, just it seems like worlds and cultures away of fathers in Paul's day had absolute power over their kids. Fathers could sell their kids as slaves. Fathers could make them work in chains. Fathers could even invoke the death penalty on their kids. Now, although we are in a different time, parents still need this check on their authority. Do not provoke them to anger. We want to raise our kids in a way that fosters obedience, not resentment. As commentator John Stott points out, this means that our discipline should never be arbitrary. Our discipline should never be unkind. It means we can foster resentment in kids, for example, when we place unreasonable demands on them. We can foster resentment in kids when we forget that they're just kids. And they need time to grow and to mature. We might foster resentment in kids when we are harsh or when we are demeaning. 
We might foster resentment in kids and not obedience when we play favorites or when we overindulge. We might foster resentment in kids when we are dictated by our moods and aren't consistent. We might foster resentment in our kids when we stifle their doubts, their questions, and their wonder. On the other hand, we foster obedience in kids when we love them, encourage them, and cherish them. I think this might be the most intimidating part of parenting. God's intention for parents' authority over their kids is to reflect his authority over us. That's, I don't know about you, I'm not even a parent, that's really intimidating. So author Paul Tripp asked this question, you could find his book in our resource center, it's really helpful. He asks, what kind of picture are your children getting of God's authority by the way you exercise your authority? We foster obedience in kids when we don't just tell them the way they should go, but we show them the goodness of the way they should go. Don't just tell your kids to say their prayers, read their Bibles, go to church as much as you can. Show them the goodness of prayer, the word, and church. If doing these things is always a drag for you, they might become a drag to your kids. This is what made the difference in Dane Ortland's childhood. If you recognize that name, that's the author of the book we're reading for our men's and women's group. I listened to an interview he did. Uh, the, his dad is a well-known pastor, Ray Ortland, uh, And all of Dane's brothers and sister, uh, the, each one of them turned out to serve the Lord in a meaningful way. And so the interviewed asked, interviewer asked Dane, uh, Dane it's like, what did your parents do that was just so special? What, what worked? And honestly, the most striking thing that Dane said was that his parents just had a general, everyday cheerfulness in the Lord. Dane said, I was never given the impression in life that said, Dane, go through all the duties in life and layer on another duty on top of all that. That is to be a disciple of Christ. No, rather... Being a disciple of Christ is the way to experience life as solid, as radiant. It is the way to experience a life that matters with eternal significance. It is a way to cheerfully enjoy life, not just an extra duty on top of everything else. That struck me. Now, we come to the positive side of God's best for parents. We said, don't provoke them to anger. On the other side of it, bring them up in the Lord. Now that word Paul uses here, bring them up, it's the same word he used for nourish in chapter 5, verse 29. It's a reminder that kids need nourishment, they need care, they need tenderness and love. And Paul says that we bring up kids in the Lord through discipline and instruction. Now behind discipline lies the idea of correction and training. How do you discipline your kids? It requires correction and training. It requires consequences and boundaries. Discipline requires consequences and boundaries that are aimed at our good so that kids can grow up to follow Jesus without the help of parents, but on their own. Discipline requires consequences and boundaries that are carried out in love. Hebrews 12 calls for parents to imitate God on this front. Hebrews 12 verse 5 says, God disciplines us for our good, that we may share 
in his holiness. Parents bring up their kids in the Lord, not just through discipline, but also through instruction. This involves teaching and learning. The early Christians would do this through catechism. They would repeat the truths of the faith so that the truths of the faith would just become part of their kids. So we instruct our kids, not just by feeding them the truths of the gospel, but like we said, we instruct our kids by showing them the truths of the gospel. Showing how the gospel changes how we live. We want kids to hear the gospel on our lips. And we want kids to see the gospel in our lives. And as a result of our instruction, we want kids to know well the truths about Jesus in their heads. And we want them to embrace Jesus in their hearts. This should be the aim at our instruction. Now, just taking this big picture as a whole, bringing up your kids in the Lord. You know, the last thing that Paul says is that parents should just let kids figure out life on their own. Paul does not say that. He says kids need nourishment, direction, correction, and instruction. Kids need this from the beginning, and they need it consistently. They need this from parents who love the Lord. They need this from parents who submit to Christ's authority. They need this from parents who trust in Christ's Christ's power, not their own. Who say, no amount of good parenting skills will ever save my kid. Only Jesus can. The best thing I can do for my kid is to point my kid to Jesus. Now, I know we've covered a lot, but I I do want to close with just two final thoughts. Just two more final thoughts, okay? Call this a bonus point, all right? Not in your notes. First final thought is that this instruction to families comes in the context of instructions to the church. This instruction to families comes within the context of instructions to the church. Parents and churches work together. You notice here that Paul lays the responsibility for raising kids primarily at parents' feet, but he assumes families will be deeply involved in the church community. After all, he's writing to a church. So the church as a whole equips, encourages, and supports families. Yeah, we teach kids here, but we also want to equip parents to teach their kids. We want to help parents grow to be faithful disciples of Christ. And when that happens, they in turn can help their kids grow to be faithful disciples of Christ. So just to, just to give several groups here encouragement, parents, thank you for bringing your kids here and bringing your families here. I know it is very often hard, but I hope and pray that it is worth it. I hope more and more that you can lean on the love and wisdom of the church's spirit-filled, Christ-centered members. I hope more and more that you feel heard and cared for here. Like you can ask questions. Parents, That I hope that you can express your weaknesses and even have friendships that just put wind in your sails. Kids, to talk to you again for just a second, I hope, I know it might not seem like it, but I hope that you know how much of a gift it is that your parents bring you here. I hope and pray that you know that. It is a gift to have friends your age. And I will say you might not realize it. It is a gift to know other adults 
who love you and who love Jesus. Kids, did you know, you might not know, that there are some adults in this room who have known me since I was your age and younger. I've, I, I've seen adults who, who have loved me and I've seen adults as they have followed Jesus in each season of my life. That is a precious, sweet gift that you will only get in the church. Church, let me talk to you just for a second. Let's serve and encourage families. Let's show the sweetness of the gospel community that Ephesians calls for, especially chapters four and three and four and, and on to five. Let's practically know the names of the kids here. Be happy to see them. Be patient with them. Let's pray for them. Let's come alongside parents to teach them and to disciple them. May I make another plug for volunteering a nursery or gospel project? <laughs> May I also make a, a plug to take maybe a kid under your wing who, who might seem like he's falling through the cracks. Our kids are a precious gift that we want to steward. Let's do so together. Now, this is the final, final thought. And that is one of hope. One of hope. Brothers and sisters, there is hope for families who constantly feel like they don't measure up. There is hope for families who appear, who see other families who appear to have it all together and they say, oh my gosh, we can never do that and we have really dropped the ball. Brothers and sisters, here's a reminder. You do not have to be outwardly impressive in order to belong to the church. You do not have to be outwardly impressive in order to be loved by Jesus. In fact, coming to Jesus is getting rid of your own impressiveness. Every family has sin and brokenness because every person has sin and brokenness. These verses should remind us all the more that we need Jesus. We need Jesus for forgiveness, but we also need Jesus for grace and power to walk in this way that he calls us to walk. Because this, this way is hard. But what we want to believe is that this way is good. And friends, Christ is with us every single step. So please, hope in him. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we need you every hour. And we thank you. Just what a precious gift the family is. May, may we see your goodness to us in giving this gift. May we together steward the, the responsibility to pass down our faith to the next generation and to, to love the kids here. Would you please help and bless and encourage families? Would, they, would you draw all of us close to you and bring us all close together? That together, God, you would glorify your great, glorious grace through us. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake.